Welcome to Broadway World, something like a pop podcast. I am Matt Timonetti, Broadway World senior TV and film critic. And as always, I'm joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles bureau chief and resident transatlantic traveler, Jennifer McHugh. Hip hip cheerio, Jen. Hello. <laughs> you can follow Jen on Twitter at FNEQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-A-Q, and you can follow me at BWWMatt, that's B-W-W-M-A-T-T, and you can read both of us across various Broadway World sites, and you can also follow Sound Like a Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast, and uh, you can find all episodes of Sound Like a Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, so if you don't hate us, rate and review the show so that Jen and I will have something to calm ourselves when our nerves get too jumpy because of things going on in the world today. On this episode, we're going to talk about a few different shows and how our appreciations for them have changed recently, either because of internal adjustments to the show or because of shifts in the social and or political landscapes. Then we'll do some rapid-fire recommendations, and per the usual, in the episode with a little show-and-tell. But first, Jen, since you are a bit of an OCD completist, why don't you tell our dear listeners exactly what your most recent exciting purchase was well i'm sure they could figure it out if they know me at all but (laughs) i bought a ticket to hamilton in london (laughs) not just a a ticket to hamilton because you've seen it in new york you've got like what 18 tickets to see it in los angeles this year and but now they you went and got a ticket to london the day they came out right I did. I figured um, they probably would sell out quickly, and what a great way to plan a vacation around something. So I think I'm going to see that, maybe catch another show at the um, Royal Shakespeare Company, because I love the Globe. Um, Still my best theatrical experience ever with the straight play. And then I was going to try and head up to Liverpool and do some uh, Beatles fangirling. Nice. Awesome. So when are you going? June of 2018. Okay, so it's not this coming summer, but the following summer. Correct, because it opens this fall, September of 2017. Very cool. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was your favorite Shakespeare play that you saw at the Globe, was it Titus Andronicus? That is correct. Okay, I thought I remembered that. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense that a play about, you know, cannibalism and rape and all that stuff would be your favorite. I mean, I guess. Yeah, just... Loads of giggles. Um, Let's not forget that it was performed in Cantonese. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jen, the first thing that we're going to talk about today is Jane the Virgin, not in Cantonese, um, although there, it does have some rather um, interesting twists and turns like Titus Andronicus does. If listeners remember in our 2016 favorites episode, this was my favorite show of the year, but while you enjoyed it, it didn't make your list. However, as we record on Sunday, February 12th, after last week's episode, which I guess that would have made that on the 6th, um, you were the one who really wanted to discuss it. Um, for those who are not up to date on the show and plan to catch up, consider this your spoiler alert. There were multiple big happenings on the most re- recent episodes, so... If you would rather not be spoiled, and I highly recommend that if you do watch the show that you aren't spoiled, please pause, check the timestamps in the show notes, and fast forward to our next topic, which will probably have spoilers too, but not Jane the Virgin spoilers. Okay, Jen, so now that the disclaimer is out of the way, why don't you share what it was that made you so, I don't know what the word excited is, but um, that made you so want to discuss Jane the Virgin on this episode. Well, first, do you think you're the first person to ever compare Titus Andronicus to Jane the Virgin? I would think that that's probably a fair statement. Yes. <laughs> Such a nerdy comparison that's like so few people will get it. Just made me laugh. Um, I wanted to discuss it because I don't think I was a unbelievable sleuth in figuring out that at some point Michael was going to die. But. At the end of the season last year, he was shot, and it seemed very clear, oh, Michael's going to die. And he didn't. Within the first episode, he was recovered and back home, and he was fine. And I was kind of turned off a little bit because, first of all, with a gunshot wound to the chest, it just seemed a little easy for his recovery. But they got me because he (laughs) wasn't okay. He didn't pass his physical to go back to work, which is just kind of a plot point. But you don't think of it like, oh, maybe there's really something wrong with him. And then for him to just die middle of the season 
from injuries sustained from the gunshot after a beautiful episode of, of him and Jean and their love story. And, you know, I'm looking back, you're like, oh, of course he was going to die. But just for them to pull the rug out from underneath us after all this time, I thought was a brilliant move. Simultaneously with all the storylines in the show, with all the characters kind of turning all of the plots upside down and almost like a rebirth of the show. I was just really impressed. And when we had spoken about our favorite shows last year, it didn't make my list because I still watch it loyally because I love the characters and I love Rogelio and I love shirtless Raphael. But I was just really, all of a sudden they got me, they sucked me back in just when you think you're out. And now it's like a brand new show and you have no idea where it's going. They did a tiny flash forward um, of Jane going to a wedding and that wedding could literally involve any character on the show. And I feel like that's the only tease we're going to get for a while. And that's great. Yeah. They, in addition to Michael Jane's husband dying in the episode, we also got a three year fast forward. So we see Jane and Mateo living back at um, the family's home. We don't know who else lives there, uh, but they're getting ready to go to a wedding. We don't know if it is perhaps her mother's wedding, if um, Raphael's getting married, maybe Abuela's getting married. We don't know. Maybe Rogelio's getting married. We don't know. And I think there's going to be a lot of time jumping. They always do time jumping in this show back and forth with flashbacks. But I think there will be a lot of that coming up. Like you said, Jen, the thing that really strikes me is that we knew Michael's death was coming for pretty much from the beginning, because one of the things that we learned early on from the Latin lover narrator is that Michael would love Jane until his very last breath. You don't say that's like the most obvious checkoffs gun statement you can make is that when you say someone's going to love someone to their last death or last breath, that means you're going to see them take their last breath sooner rather than later. So we knew that he would die. And you're absolutely right. After this season premiere, you you expressed to me how you were disappointed that Michael, I mean, not that he didn't die, but I guess that he didn't die, but that was such a quick turnaround. And then as you start to think about what they've done in this season, the little bits that we've seen through uh, along the way, I'm shocked that we didn't pick up on this sooner. You're right. The, the fact that he didn't pass the physical, it seemed like, okay, that's a way to get him from doing police work into some other business. We saw him taking the LSAT. Okay, this is interesting. This is where this character is going to go now. He's going to be a lawyer. Well, he did take the LSAT, and then as he was getting ready to turn his paper in, he collapsed and died right there. That episode, though, Jen, was so chock full of interesting little nuggets and swerves and red herrings. I loved it. As you know, I didn't watch the episode live. I watched it a couple days later. So I knew something had happened because of all the chatter on Twitter, but I I purposely avoided spoilers, so I didn't know exactly what happened. But I could read between the lines that someone died. So there were all these little things that happened. Um, at, At one point, the narrator said that everyone would know Rogelio's name. So I thought, oh, does he die in some sort of grand way that a bunch of people know about? Uh, and then um, Mateo is sleeping over at Raphael's and Petra says, oh, don't worry, Mateo's still asleep in his crib. I think, oh my God, they're not going to kill the kid, are they? So it's almost like they knew that even if people didn't watch live, they wanted to kind of throw people off the scent, even like me, if they knew something was going to happen, but they didn't exactly know. And I think that really underscores how well written and how well constructed this show is, is that it wasn't just, eh, let's just throw something together. Michael dies. Good riddance. They really put the time in to, to set this up. And I, I really think Jen, that this is going to make it an even better show because now whatever happens to Jane going forward, there's always going to be that undercurrent of sorrow and loss and grief, which I think makes for really super interesting television. And also I think it's going to, reinvigorate the relationship between the women who have all started to go on their own separate journeys. Like Zoe is having this renewed love affair with Bruce and Abuela is even starting to have hints of a romance with the guy at the hotel and Jane's married. And now all of a sudden they're going to all have to come back together and figure out a way to get Jane through this. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point because we've talked about this before at the heart of this show, despite the weird conception story and the, um, romantic triangle, the love triangle, the, this show has really been about that three-generation relationship between the women of of the Villanueva family. And I think you're right. That's a very good point that I hadn't really thought about, that this really will probably strengthen those bonds even more. Another thing that I think is is so impressive about this show is, is that 
you and I both grew up watching soap operas, which are the American equivalent of telenovelas. And this show, Jane the Virgin, is constructed in at least some ways to be a telenovela. So that there are twists and turns and there are shocks. There are ridiculous storylines um, you know, from the, <laughs> from the plastic surgery, uh, to people getting shot and the drugs and all the, the legal wranglings. So, but what I've always admired about this show is that they do such an incredible job of blurring the line between a traditional TV drama, comedy, dramedy, and telenovelas. They, they forget, or they make you forget that these are just things that happen on a regular basis on soap operas and telenovelas, and they do it with such great command of character that they hit you every time. You know, I, in all the years that I've watched soap operas, I don't, I've never gotten choked up at a storyline. I've never really, you know, been emotional about a storyline. But damn it, if Jane the Virgin doesn't get me choked up, I mean, almost on a weekly basis. So I think they do such an incredible job of, of writing that line between that telenovela soapy aspect and the more modern drama um, that people have grown to love. And I, I really appreciate that because it's unlike anything else on television. And I think this is a fantastic example of that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay. So looking forward, let's, let's put our showrunner hat on. We know now that uh, Michael is dead. That doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be gone. I assume we'll see him in flashbacks throughout the rest of the run of the show, to be honest with you. But as a main character in the central narrative of Jane the Virgin, Michael is gone. We know that Jane fast-forwards three years. She is at least getting ready for the wedding at her abuela's house, if not living there. Where do you think this story goes? Because literally, as you said, so many other characters were getting ready to make big adjustments in their storylines. We didn't even mention the fact that Raphael was getting ready to confess to cooking the books and was going to take a prison sentence. We don't know if that happens. We don't know if he's, you know, we thought it would be, he thought it would just be a few months. So potentially that means that he's already out and all this stuff. But so where do you think that we will come back to the main storyline here of Jane the Virgin um, after after this three-year flash forward, which may be permanent or maybe temporary? Well, I feel like we're going to spend some time on the, the immediate grief. Um, just from the trailer for this week's episode, I think they're going to focus on that for a while, and they should. Um, it'll be interesting to see Raphael's decision with this information now. You know, does he have the ability to still do that, knowing that Jane really needs him? And Mateo really needs a parent because... As much as Jane will try, her head's going to be somewhere else for a little bit. The wedding, I mean, that could be anyone. That could be Raphael and Petra. That could be Raphael and Jane. That could be Zoe and Bruce, Zoe and Rahelio, like anyone. So I don't know where it's going to go. I just feel like the end game is Zoe and Rahelio and Jane and Raphael. So the journey they take to get there, I'm excited to see where they go until then. I I definitely agree that Zoe and Rahelio is the end game. I'm not as sure that Jane and Raphael are the end game with them. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just not as confident about that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the wedding. I I, I want to say it's Abuela and the guy from the gift shop at the hotel. That would be my guess. Just because I can't imagine that they would rob us of Zoe and Rahelio their love story, and I just don't see them three years later, Zoe and Bruce. Like, that seems like a long time to wait for them. So I, I don't know. I, my, my guess would be Abuela, but I, I don't I don't really know. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where Jane is more than anything else. All the other characters are super important, and I love them all, but Jane is the center of this show. Is she now an author? Has she taken that pain and, and turned it into something positive to help her achieve her dreams. I, I think that's what's going to be interesting. And I would not be surprised if at least one of these characters is markedly different from when we left them off, whether that's in circumstances or in personality or outlook. I think there's going to be some sort of major change. You don't jump three years in the future and have everyone pretty much maintain their status quo. We're also counting out the uh, possibility of new characters. You know, Jane could be marrying mm -hmm. someone brand new or, um, 
you know, maybe Petra met someone new or Raphael met someone new. So there's obviously with the absence of Brett Dyer, Dyer Deer, um, they're going to have to be casting for a new heartthrob. And so, you know, we'll have to see what they come up with. You know, I trust the CW casting. Yes, because everyone's got really nice cheekbones and looks good without a shirt. So Absolutely correct. Male or female, I guess. Is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I love this episode. I'm so glad that I watched it a day or two after um, rather than waiting and then finding out exactly what happened. Because while I knew a little bit, I didn't know everything. And I'm glad that I was able to maintain at least some of that. This is still, like I said, my favorite show on TV because despite all of the drama and those twists and turns of a telenovela, it it still really appeals to the character emotions. And man, that scene of Jane getting the call that Michael died, that, that, well, I guarantee you that is going to be on her Emmy reel because um, that was heartbreaking in and of itself. I agree. And side note, do they really do that? Do they just call you and say, oh, sorry, your husband died? Like, wouldn't they send someone to the, like, I just don't know the protocol. It just seemed a little weird that they just called her and were like, yeah, Michael's dead. Jen, this is a show where people routinely change their faces with plastic surgery. So I'm not exactly sure that medical and procedural. I was just curious of the actual protocol. And that's a good point because isn't Rose the one that shot Michael? Oh, yeah. And she's now back. We didn't mention that fact that she is now back as well with another new face. And now she is Michael's murderer. Yes, that's very true. And uh, Luisa, Raphael's sister, continues to be in this very not healthy relationship with her ex-stepmother. And um, she's a murderer drug kingpin. So I'm assuming that when we come back that this character, this new Rose, who's had plastic surgery will still be around because you don't make that big of a change and then say, oh, just kidding. She won't be there. So I imagine she'll be there, and I'm sure that eventually that'll be a storyline that gets explored, and and Jane will probably eventually get some sort of, not revenge, but um, we'll see justice done for her husband. So, Jen, this show is something that has kind of brought you back in, and it leads us into a show that you, at one point, were, I don't know if the word in love with is right, but a show that you really love has now pushed you away a little bit, and that, if not a little bit, a lot of it, and and that is Scandal, when the, um, what is the sixth season debuted a few weeks ago, everyone was really excited to see what was going on in the election between uh, Melly Grant and not Jimmy Smith's um, Bruce from Jane the Virgin. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, absolutely, Bruce from Jane the Virgin. And also, I didn't. We did. We should have uh, mentioned Desperate Housewives. That, Desperate Housewives too. But the the woman that Rogelio de la Vega is maybe having a baby with on Jane the Virgin. She is also the woman who is the lead of the new One Day at a Time on Netflix that got fantastic reviews, I guess, in January. Is that what it was? She's the new lead in that show. But uh, anyway. Um, Let's not forget Six Feet Under. I never saw that show. She was the uh, she was in that too. Okay. So we were, we were waiting to see what happened between the in the election between Melly Grant and Governor Vargas. And when it came back, Jane, this is, dude, I can't be doing that. And when it came back, <laughs> and when it came back, Jen, um, this is another spoiler alert here because this will be uh, uh, talking about some things that have happened so far in this sixth season. Three, two, one. Okay, spoiler alert has passed. We know that immediately, uh, almost uh, after being named the winner of the presidential election, Governor Vargas is assassinated. And we don't know who did it. Uh, at first at least, and Olivia Pope decides that it was, whether we whether it actually was or not, she believes that it was uh, Governor Vargas's vice president-elect Cyrus Bean who ordered the hit on his running mate so that he could ascend the throne, so to speak, to the Oval Office. As of now, we've seen three episodes and that have been kind of revolving around whether or not Cyrus was the murderer or not. I'm sure, Jen, you and I both can have our um, thoughts on that. If you continued, you might have stopped watching altogether. 
Uh, but you were really turned off by this first episode and you were very vocal on, on Twitter about kind of being done with the show. I did stop watching. That's the last episode I saw. Oh, wow. Um, why? Tell me why. Cause you, you loved this show for a long time. You, you recapped it for Broadway world for years. I did. Um, it's just, I can't now with the world, the way it is, it's just not fun anymore. It's like, I'm watching a dramatic interpretation of a horrible reality show. <laughs> and the first episode was so Shonda formulaic to me that it turned me off immediately. Olivia suspecting Cyrus full force, 100%. He's guilty, getting proved wrong, apologizing, and then immediately knowing she was right. Like I just, I knew exactly where it was going. I was just rubbed the wrong way the whole time. And I just, it's just not entertaining anymore. It's just too real, even with its preposterous scenarios and um, plot lines and acting. It's just, it's just not entertaining anymore. So I just turned it off. Okay. When the way you just described it, that really is interesting to me. And I understand why I think, but one of the reasons you love Veep so much is because as outlandish as it is, you think it really reflects actual politics that we're going through right now. So tell me, what's the difference between how Veep approaches the absurdity of what's going on in real life versus how Scandal approaches the absurdity of what's going on in real life and why one rings as entertaining to you and one rings as off-putting to you? Because Veep is parodying it and Veep is making me laugh and Veep is showing these characters as larger than life and they're assholes and they're unapologetic about it. Whereas on Scandal, they try and find these altruistic character traits and make you empathetic towards these people who are all really vile. And um, there's really just not one person on there who you're like, you know what? That guy's a good guy. Not one. And But they, they, they spend a lot of time trying to garner sympathy for them. Whereas on Veep, they're like, oh, no, these guys are dicks. <laughs> And we're going to laugh at them because we know exactly who they're representing in the White House. So for me, I can watch Veep and be entertained because it's not trying to sell me anything. It just is what it is. Whereas Scandal, it just it's not entertaining. It's overdramatic. And I can literally turn the channel to CNN and watch the quote unquote fake news there and get the same sort of entertainment. I mean, to, to be fair, there has not been an assassination attempt or or coups or anything like that in real life that we know of. So, I mean, it's there not could like this be. is... Oh, there 100% could be every single day. Yeah, but the the point being is that it's not, it's not law and order type ripped from the headline stuff. It's not like they've got st scandals about um, the, the new president's daughter getting dropped, her fashion line getting dropped from a department store. So, I mean, it's not like that equivalent, but it is a heightened sense of reality, much more. I mean, it's a soap. Shonda's shows have always been soapy um, in a nature. Now I will tell you this, Jen, that that formula that you saw in the season premiere, it might not hold up as much as you thought it would. Um, as we are now three episodes into the season, whether Cyrus was actually involved in the assassination of, of president elect Vargas or not is definitely in question. And you could ask your friend, Brian about who may or may not have been involved. I'm completely but, up to date on what has happened. I'm still not interested. Okay. I know I didn't expect you to be, but I just, you know, I think they are trying to subvert at least some of them, some of their tropes, so to speak. But I agree with you. I, I like scandal. I still watch it. I'm not as glued to it as much as because it, it, what I think always worked well about scandal is that they could give you some of these really heavy, really dark twists and turns with people being kidnapped or people being tortured and then they'd do a t turn, and in the next episode, or maybe a couple episodes later, they'd have one that was really about the interpersonal romantic relationships, or one that was kind of funny. I feel like we've gotten away from that because they've gotten so far down that B613 rabbit hole in that, um, and this kind of assassination stuff, that they've forgotten that the ebbs and flows of these relationships and the fact that these characters are multidimensional, where's the fun that we used to have with, with Huck and Quinn? Um, obviously, Quinn has moved on to her uh, new, I guess, fiancé? Is he her fiancé? Um, so she's not with Huck anymore, but where's the fun that we used to have with those characters? We don't really see that 
um, anymore, or the former, you know, the the, the vice president. Um, you know, we don't really see that humor as much anymore in the show, and I think that's really where they've lost their way, rather than the crazy twists and turns. Because I feel like that's always been what the show is. But the fact that it doesn't have that counterbalance of of levity and humor and romance really, really hurts the show. I think this is going to kind of bleed into our next topic, which is Shondaland in general. But the thing is, is when you have a show that relies on shocks and twists, they just have to be more and more outlandish. Yeah. And I'm just over it. It's starting to get that Ryan Murphy feel to me where we just have to keep outdoing ourselves and, I'm reminded of the nip tuck the nip tuck episode when Laura Ingalls Wilder was sleeping with her dog. Like you just have to keep outdoing yourself in order to keep the shock value up, and it just after a while gets tiresome. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I mean, it it, it the law of diminishing returns says that the more you shock people, the less shocking it becomes. And and that of course I'll do a plug for myself here is that a couple of weeks ago before the season premiere I talked with Joe Morton who plays Papa Pope Rowan Eli whatever his name is Command and we talked about that first you know to me the first real earthquaking shock from this show was at the end of season two and Jen we've talked about this season finale before when Olivia gets in the car after she's been outed as the president's mistress and she gets in the back of this town car. She sees Rowan, who we've seen for the last half of season two, kind of as the Machiavellian puppeteer, mastermind, evil genius, big bad. She gets in the car, she sits down, and she says, Dad? To me, I don't know that they've achieved a shock as big as that one since. Mainly because that was a good half a season build up to that. And they've always been chasing the ghost of that shock. They've had bigger things. Obviously, you know, the president's kid being killed by Rowan, um, you know, all these different twists and turns and people being double and triple and quadruple agents. But I still feel like they are still chasing the impact of that one word dad. And that that word, that episode, that scene really changed the course as far as I'm concerned as to what TV was like how they were able to combat people who didn't watch TV live anymore. They made scandal in all of Shondaland appointment television. And like you said, the more they do it, the less impactful it is. Um, so I don't know if scandal can rebound. I love some of these characters. I love Melly. I love Quinn. Um, so I will probably continue to watch at least for now because I love those characters so much. But I hope they, they they find their footing again and can kind of get back to the show that it was where we didn't have to have a murder in every episode. I agree. I have high hopes for it. But if um, Grey's Anatomy is a precedent, then I'm concerned. I, I will admit that I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, so I will defer to you on that one. But I do watch How to Get Away with Murder, which, as you know, is produced by Shonda but was not created by Shonda Rhimes. But it still is very much part of the Shondaland Empire. Um, it, of course, stars Viola Davis, and it revolves around her as a law professor and taking in first-year law students, and they become kind of her, she calls them her kids, but they're her, you know, her investigative team, and they do all this stuff in the first season um, as her husband is sexually assaulting one of the students. He is murdered. They cover it up. Then it kind of goes downhill in crazy sauce from there. We're now in the middle of the third season. And Jen, is it, do you keep current on how to get away with murder? No, I do not. No, when did you, did you ever watch it? I watched the first season and I really liked it. And then I watched the second season and I really didn't like it. And I didn't think it was one of those concepts that lent itself to multiple seasons without being like, really, these same six people are involved in another murder. So it was just, I put it on the shelf. And I'm not one of those who are like, oh, you stopped watching it. It got good again. You should start. No, I made the decision. It's over. I've, I've moved on. But I'm glad you enjoy it because Viola well, Davis is a, a miracle. Yes, I, I enjoy it. I don't love it. You are absolutely 100% correct that... At some point, you've got to say, seriously, you've now been involved with like four or five murders and cover-ups. Maybe get the hell out of town and just move on with your life. 
Um, it is getting to be a little much. Season three, the first nine episodes led up to the fact that somebody in the group died in a fire at uh, Annalise Keating's house. In the final episode of the first half of the season, we find out that it was, in fact, Wes, who was her pride and joy, her pupil, um, her main focus, who she had a long relationship with his mother. Without him knowing, we find out that he's dead. We are now into the second half of the season while there's trying to piece together who killed Wes and why he died and all of this stuff. I got to admit, it's getting to the point where I don't really like many people on the show anymore. Um, the, the ones that I do like are not the ones that I would have thought that I liked. I like the annoying character, Asher, who was really obnoxious in the first few seasons, but has turned out to be really cool. Um, I really like Michaela, who was obnoxious as the spoiled girl the first few seasons. She's turned out to be pretty good. And Wes's girlfriend, at the time he died, Laurel. I really, those are the three characters I like. Everybody else I could do without. And I think that that is part of this Shondaland phenomenon where you have to have these twists and turns and reveals and shocks that eventually nobody is a very good person. And it's really hard to have a relationship uh, where you are empathetic with a character if they're all bad people. And certainly on both Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder, and I'm assuming Grey's Anatomy, these shows go through so many plot machinations that everyone's done things that are dubious to say the least but eventually when you start dealing with murders and cover-ups and framings and all these things it's hard to sympathize with anyone any of them and i think that's why i'm kind of pulled to these secondary characters on both scandal with while melly's you know a, a peripheral main character but quinn's really just she's secondary at best um laurel is a little bit bigger on how to go with murder but asher and michaela are secondary i like these people because they aren't the ones killing people i mean to be to be frank does that make sense jen is that does that make sense as to why they're the ones that i'm still holding on hope for yeah i i understand um it, and it's like we had discussed offline you know you just kind of have to make decisions like am i watching this out of loyalty to these random characters or am i actually enjoying myself during this show so, I mean, I did that with soap operas for years with General Hospital. You know, there was one storyline that I had to see how it panned out. So I would fast forward through the rest of the show until we got to that plot point just so I could find out. So I understand it. But, you know, we've just made different decisions in continuing to watch. For instance, with Grey's, same kind of thing. You know, after how many years has it been on? Ten years everybody's done at something least, awful yeah. at this point and everybody's been romantically involved with everybody. Like you just run out of things to do. So, and even when you were saying like scandal has gotten caught up in this, this B 13 phenomenon, I think it kind of reminds me of alias when they, they started out so strong with this SD six and the espionage and everything. And then they got so focused on the, was it the Rimbaldi or something prophecy that something, wasn't yeah. interesting at all. And they, they put all their ducks in that and it wasn't interesting and it fell off. And I feel like Shonda land is starting to focus on the wrong things and lose people. But yeah, I mean, well, they're still like the top rated shows on TV. I mean, it's, this is just our yes. opinions. No. And what it's really interesting to me, that's a great point that they're still really popular. And it's just our opinions. Uh, and I want to get to that, but you bringing up alias makes me think of something. And it, it's a thread that runs through every show we've talked about so far from Jane the Virgin to Scandal to How to Get Away with Murder. Those three shows all have a very loose grip on time. You know, we talked about the three-year jump on Jane, but they often go back and forth and do flashbacks on Jane. Scandal will just throw out months at a time in between episodes. And How to Get Away with Murder often has tons of flashbacks as well. But to me, Jen, one of the coolest episodes of Alias was a time jump. And it's been so long, and you know I don't remember details of these things, so you will probably remember this better than I do. Um, Jennifer Garner's character went was kidnapped or something, and she wakes up, and it's like, what, a year in the future? She was in a coma or something? And then it, the whole show had to reset. Am I remembering that correctly? She woke up in an alley in like Thailand. Yeah. And when she finally reconnected with Vaughn, he was married 
and it was like three years later and she had no recollection. She literally thought she had been asleep for a minute and it had been three years. Yeah. So it's interesting that when it's almost like when shows need to get the, the juices, the creative juices flowing again or need a jump start in what they're doing, they play with these things because like you said, Jen, it gives you the opportunity to restart and to to re-examine who these characters are and to give people the excitement that they had at the beginning of the series as they start to rediscover who these characters have become during this time jump. Um, I'm optimi- I, I will hold out hope. I'll watch How to Get Away with Murder probably through this season. See how it goes, where things land at the end of the season. Currently, Annalise Keating is in jail um, for, for Wes's murder. Um, I would be shocked if she was the one who actually did it. But I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Um, but, you know, if they can find a way to rejuvenate this series, I'm in because I do like some of the characters. But it would have to take something big like a three-year time jump with someone waking up in a street in Thailand to keep me as excited about watching as I was earlier. So that brings us to something else that we want to talk about. We've kind of been dancing around this, especially with Scandal Jen. But let's just say that at least for people who believe and think the way that you and I do, the world has become a darker place since, I don't know, let's say November 8th of 2016. Looking out the window at a sunny sky does not bring the same joy and happiness that it perhaps once did. But neither does turning on the news Neither does listening to NPR on the radio, but also neither does turning on TV or movies and watching things. And Jen, you and I have both, probably to varying degrees, really adjusted our pop culture intake since this most recent election. You mentioned it when you're talking about Scandal, that it hits just too close to the catastrophe and craziness that is real world politics. But... In the age of Trump, how has your pop culture intake or appetite changed from what it was at its peak just a year or so ago, even less, when you were watching maybe, I don't know what, 30 TV shows in a given week? I think I'm down to like 10 now. Which is really not that much. If you think about it, that's two TV shows a weekday. And when you consider that you watch a lot of comedies, it's not even two hours a night. So that's that's a uh, that's that's a huge cutback for you. Correct. And I used to really be into like government shows and espionage and spies, and um, I I can't watch those types of shows anymore. The new Twenty Four premiered, and I can't. I used to love Twenty Four. I loved Jack Bauer. I loved the whole concept of the show. I thought it was interesting. I can't watch it. And my mother's obsessed with um designated survivor mm-hmm. and i feel like that's just way too uh <laughs> scary but yeah. that whole genre of tv shows and even movies to an extent i just can't fathom anymore and even though i've always been more geared towards comedies um of the 10 tv shows i watch two are not comedies wow i mean yeah even though the fact that that is kind of your bread and butter that's way more than I would have would have thought. What? Okay, so let's. I don't have this list. This isn't something we prepared. But can you run down the shows that you are now currently engaged in? Well, so keep in mind, you know, this is just what's airing right now. It obviously right, yeah, changes yeah. as the seasons change. But um, as of today, I'll be watching The Walking Dead. Obviously, that's a drama. Um, last week tonight, The Mindy Project. Uh, Jane the Virgin, which, as we know, blurs the lines between drama and comedy. Um, Bates Motel, New Girl, Schitt's Creek, The Goldbergs, Modern Family, Blackish, and The Big Bang Theory. So, really, the only two dramas are The Walking Bates Dead Motel and, De- and The Walking Dead. Is Bates Motel back yet? Bates Motel starts uh, next week, two twenty. Okay. Yeah, and and Jane the Virgin, for Emmy purposes, is technically a drama because it's an hour long. Although it's as it's as much a comedy as right. it, it's it blurs so the line. Yeah, I mean, I would put it more towards the classical definition of a comedy as composed to like a drama, like in Greek drama. It's not. Um, it's definitely not 
that. So I would I would put it as a as a comedy myself, even though for Emmy purposes it's an hour long, so it's a drama. But that's really interesting. But also, but when you put it next to Walking Dead and Bates Motel, like I don't yeah. watch those two shows with the same mentality that I watch Jane the Virgin with. You know, like absolutely. Even on its saddest episode last week, it was still for enjoyment, not for suspense. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what I mean. I, to me, Jane the Virgin is a comedy, and you know, comedies aren't necessarily at least in classical definition, aren't things that make you laugh necessarily. They're shows that in the end have a happy ending. And while we don't know what the ending of Jane the Virgin is, I would imagine that the vast majority of feelings about this show are happy uh, as opposed to sad. So I, I definitely would consider that. And that actually makes me think that one of the things that, you know, Whenever I recommend something to my mother, which is not often because her sensibilities and mine are very different, the one thing she always asks me is, does it have a happy ending? That's all my mom cares about. She doesn't really care if it's all that good or if it's, you know, really intelligently laid out and has all these twists and turns. She wants to know if it has a happy ending. She watches Hallmark movies. She never watch a Lifetime movie because those are the ones about, you know, women being abducted and murdered. She wants to know if something has a happy ending. And... While I have not cut back my pop culture intake much like you have, I have trimmed around the edges. Things that might not have a happy ending like what my mom looks for, but for me, and maybe this goes in with how I approach Jane, is that things that make me feel good, things that make me enjoy myself, uh, things I've just cut out things that I felt I was watching just out of obligation, things like Timeless, um, love you Abigail Spencer, but... The show's boring as hell. Gotham. I watched it because I like superheroes and I liked a couple of the characters. It's boring. I just, it, I cut it out. So while I don't, I'm not sticking to the rule of I'm only watching, you know, I'm trying to focus more on comedies or does it have a happy ending? I'm focusing on things that I haven't, I get enjoyment out of. So whether that's humor or laughs or really cool twists and turns or a really interesting plot, those are the things that I'm focusing on because I don't have time in this world where just looking at the news pisses you off to deal with things that I'm not getting some sort of enjoyment out of. Yep. And that's where I'm at too. Um, I need to laugh and I love situation comedies I have since I was a little girl and that's just more where I'm leaning toward and Bates Motel in its final season walking dead. I'm obsessed with. So, you know, there are some ones I keep, um, but with the news, the way it is, it's just, you know, Saturday night live and, and the daily show are like my sanctuaries because at least they're finding ways to make us laugh about the horrors of it. And I think that both shows have become really, really relevant and um, I just want to laugh. <laughs> I'm just, I can't think about spies and espionage because now we just know, even though we had an inkling before, we're just also aware that it's, it's really happening. That the way you say that, Jen, the Americans starts its next season very soon. Um, are you going to continue to watch that? That's spies and espionage granted set 30 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, that already happened. You know, I lived through that. And I think that's why it's it's terrifying for, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. But, you know, your a thoughts little bit. Cold, I mean, a lot of do it. you remember the Cold War? Vaguely. Yeah. I mean, we didn't do yeah. when, you know, when I was in school, we didn't do like duck and cover air raid drills or anything. But but yeah, I mean, we enough. Did. Yeah. I mean, I, I enough. I remember the Berlin Wall coming down and all that stuff. So, yeah. So I'm it, I, I look at the Americans more as a historical piece than it is where I'm watching shows set in the White House in 2017. It's just a little bit more jarring. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. All right, Jen, any other thoughts maybe around? Did you watch Saturday Night Live last night? I have not watched it yet. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that show is um, probably the most popular it's been in a long time. And I think they're getting top tier talent top writing and if if anyone is profiting over this all happening it's them but they're doing a great job yeah last night's episode as we're recording was the one hosted a record-breaking time by alec baldwin um it received its highest rating in six years which as we know is a very difficult thing to do just because of the proliferation of television everything's ratings are going down so to have their highest ratings in six years 
is a really difficult thing to do for a late night comedy, for a drama, for a primetime hit, for a sporting event. Everything's ratings are down just because there's so much else to do. So to have the ratings like that, I saw more buzz about Saturday Night Live on social media yesterday that I've seen in years. And and kudos to Alec Baldwin and to Melissa McCarthy and Lauren Michaels because um, we're going to need something. <laughs> <laughs> for the next four years, we're gonna need something to keep us sane. So, uh, so and a I'm special glad. shout out to um, Kate McKinnon because who's the best? Obviously, she's brilliant, but for her in one episode to play Jeff Sessions, <laughs> Kellyanne Conway, and Elizabeth Warren, and she nailed it all three times. Um, I think I love that the women are the ones besides Alec Baldwin. Like these women are coming out. Melissa McCarthy out of nowhere. And they're yeah. just destroying, like, that's the one weakness that seems penetrable in these in, the, in this administration. It's just hilarious to me that that's where they're hitting and where it hurts. Yeah. I, I'm, like we've talked about before, Saturday Night Live is not necessarily my cup of tea just in the type of humor. Um, and I don't stay up that late. But I could not be happier that it's having a resurgence here. If, if anything good is going to come out of this horror show that we find in Washington, D.C., I want it to be stuff like that that is artistically and comically related. I agree. Okay, so... Jen, we're going to do a little section here of recommendations. It's going to be two minutes tops, no more. Um, I will maybe let whoever's talking finish what they're saying. But beside that, it's going to be two minutes. Of we're going to make recommendations of TV shows, movies, whatever it is. Just two, three sentences at a time. That is it. I'm going to set a stopwatch right here. Um, we are not going to worry about saying if it's a TV show when it airs, we'll put it in the show notes so we can save that time. If it's a movie that hasn't come out yet, um, we'll put the release date in the show notes as well. We're just going to kind of rapid fire go through them um, so we can get some recommendations out there since we didn't really do much of that in this episode. Are you ready to rock and roll, Jen? Yep. All right. I'm going to let you go first so I can start the timer. Um, two, three sentences at a time. We'll try to get through as many as humanly possible. All right. Your time begins in three, two, one. Detour, a comedy on TBS starring Jason Jones and Natalie Zaya. It's created by Jason Jones and Samantha B. I I just discovered it. It's stupid and hilarious. Awesome. Um, I'm going to recommend Legion on FX. It's a show based on a comic book of the same name. It's, it's an extension of the X-Men universe. It is unlike anything you've ever seen from a comic book TV show or film before. It is written um, and, and run by one of the most brilliant minds in television today, Fargo's Noah Hawley. Um, I saw someone uh, online equate it to a Wes Anderson meets Stanley Kubrick thing. Great acting, great characters. Check it out. Go, Jen. That was way more than two sentences. Sorry. Uh, Detroiters... It's on Comedy Central. It stars Veeps, Sam Richardson, and Tim Robinson. Just about two dudes in Detroit trying to make their lives better. All right. Awesome. I'll keep this one short. Split. It's the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Doesn't have the main major twists that some of his early epi- or early movies did, but it is very much a return to those early films. Go, Jen. Uh, the Daily Show and Full Frontal, I think, as well as Last Week Tonight, which comes back tonight, I think that these three shows are vital in this political climate. And Trevor Noah had a slow start to some people, but man, he is really knocking it out of the park these days. So I highly recommend revisiting. Awesome. I'm going to recommend Riverdale on the CW. It's based on the iconic Archie comic strips, but it's much darker, which is mirrors what's happened in the comic books in recent years. It has a some shades of Season 1 Veronica Mars and Dawson's Creek, full of teen angst, Jen, so I'm sure you would like it. Go ahead and go. Lion, Lion, Lion. The movie Lion, nominated for Best Picture. It's my favorite movie of the year. I cried like a little bitch. Go see it. It's wonderful. Um, my next recommendation is the new NBC superhero show, Powerless. My recommendation is to not watch it unless you have a gun to your head. Go. Agreed. Yes. Uh, a little a movie from earlier in the year called Sing Street. It got snubbed for Oscar nominations, oh. but it is delightful, and it is on Netflix, and it will make you feel joy in your heart. Last one, I have two seconds. Victoria on PBS Masterpiece Theater. The lovely uh, Jenna Coleman plays Queen Victoria. Watch it. Okay, that's not bad. 
we I think good. we did well. Yeah, I think yeah. we did good. So you you agreed with my assertion of powerless, huh? I did. I watched it last night, and I was like, oh, my. Jesus. It's bad. Like, it's really I not love good. people on there. Like, yes. just great cast. And I'm like, oh, dear Lord. Great concept, great cast, terrible show. Another yeah, I, winner, NBC. I'm going to watch the – as we talked about, we often give – Shows three episodes. I've watched the first two. If it's not markedly better in episode three, it's it's hitting the bricks because, man, is it not fun? It's not funny at all. <laughs> okay. All right. We Jen. rarely agree on that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just not good. Uh, but, but when we do agree on something like that, that means we are so obviously right because uh, there's no overlap there. I love comedies, and that's just not a comedy. Yeah, it's not a comedy. I mean, it's not funny. I mean, and, man, the cast is so good, too. Like, Alan Tudyk, uh, Danny Pudi, Ron Funches. Um, it's just not funny. And Vanessa Hudgens, man, she's so attractive. Like, I want her to be good at something. And she, I liked her in Greece, But this is, she's so She awkward. cannot carry a TV show. There are worse things I could do Than go with a boy or two even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy and no good, I suppose it could be true. But there are worse things I could do. Jen, we are now going to end this episode with some show and tell where you and I auditorily show everybody something and then tell them why it's important. Since you have one ready to go and prepared, I'm going to let you go while I figure out what I'm going to talk about. Well, I think America has all finally come to the conclusion that we're in love with James Corden. Um, that's Corden with a C. And he keeps just knocking it out of the park on his late night show. I just adore him. And I think the funniest thing is when people remember that he can sing. And he really can. And even when you put him up against the best singers in the world, he holds his own. So last week he had on oh, a surprise quote-unquote guests and that would be mr adam lambert yes. who i stay till i stand by my opinion that he was the only good thing to ever come out of american idol uh, but kelly he clarkson is, kelly clarkson i mean she's she's fine he is now touring with the band queen which is one of my favorite rock bands of all time it is literally james corden's favorite rock band of all time and he was upset that he james corden wasn't asked to be the new lead singer so he starts talking some smack adam lambert walks out challenges him to a queen off in which he will not participate unless the band is there and open the curtains there's brian may there's roger taylor and the two of them go back and forth and James Corden can sing like Adam Lambert obviously can put him to shame, but he can hold his own. And he's saying one of my favorite Queen songs. Don't um, don't stop me now. Shout out Shaun of the Dead. And he really does a great job. And I just thought it was <laughs> it was just so well done and really excited that for Queen to tour with Adam Lambert. I mean, obviously, no one can ever touch Freddie Mercury. But if anyone's going to try, I think Adam Lambert was a great choice for that tour. So here's just a clip of James Corden singing. Don't stop us. Don't stop me now with the band Queen. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. And the world is turning inside out. Yeah. It's floating around in ecstasy. So don't stop. You can stop now. You can stop. I'm so glad you recommended that because this is something that I 
watched multiple times. I sent, I emailed to my dad, who's a big Queen fan. And this is not the first time that Adam Lambert's toured with Queen. It's happened um, for the last few tours that Queen has done. But you're right. No one can ever replace Freddie Mercury. But if you're going to have a modern artist who encapsulates not only the vocal range and ability of Freddie Mercury, but also the showmanship, it is definitely Adam Lambert. And he is fantastic. So uh, I appreciate that that recommendation, Jen. Um, mine is one that you will not appreciate. I know because we've already talked about it. Um, this is one that also kind of blends the line between theater and more acceptable popular culture. But this past week, one Academy Award nominee, Jake Gyllenhaal, released a video on his Facebook page that was a backstage-ish performance of one of the most iconic songs from the new musical, or not new musical, from the new production of a classic musical that he is now currently starring in on Broadway called Sunday in the Park with George. As we record, the first preview happened last night. This started as an encores concert with him and Annalie Ashford. There's a bunch of other stars, including Zachary Levi, Carmen Cusack. Most of them did not come to Broadway with the show, but people like Tony Winner, um, Robert Sean Leonard from Dead Poet Society and House, um, he is now in the cast as well. And we really hadn't heard much about the show. We hadn't really gotten a whole lot of backstage stuff. They didn't really do a meet and greet until just a few days before the first preview. And what this video is, is is him starting at the top of the Hudson Theater at a catwalk. The Hudson Theater is an old, old Broadway house that has not had a show in it since the 60s. It has been used for other things. And this uh, Sunday in the Park with George will be the first show in the Hudson Theater in decades. So what was cool about this was as he sang, finishing the hat, as he's walking down the stairs, comes on to the stage um, where he is surrounded by the completely white male orchestra. And he sings this song, and while there will be no one, in my mind, who can ever do justice to Mandy Patinkin, I thought he equated himself really, really well, and I was very impressed with really the first time that I've heard Jake Gyllenhaal sing something that um, layered and nuanced and intense. I also enjoyed this video a lot because you got to see what the Hudson Theater looks like. This is something that's been used for like event space and a ballroom recently. Um, and you got to see what this theater looks like. It's a small theater, I think like 900 seats. So I'm really excited about that. This is something that you probably heard off, uh, heard already, but it never hurts to hear someone who's pretty good singing Sondheim, unless you're Jen who hates Sondheim. So check it out. Until they distance and die Until there's nothing but sky And how you're always turning back too late From the grass or the stick or the dog or the light How the kind of woman willing to wait's not the kind that you want to find waiting To return you to the night Dizzy from the height Coming from the hat But to see the only way to see And when the woman that you wanted goes You can say to yourself Well, I give what I give But the woman who won't wait for you Knows that however you live There's a part of you Always standing by Mapping out a sky Finishing a hand Starting on the hat Finishing a hat Look, I made a hat Where there never was a hat I especially hate this show. I know. We've talked about this show. This is one of my... Like, this is my third favorite musical of all time. At least it was on my list. I'm not sure how intact those ratings are but you you don't like this show and i understand that um uh, we but he disagree. sounds great but he did he did sound much better than i anticipated him doing because sondheim is notoriously difficult to sing as you know jen since you've been in at least one sondheim show yes and i've played three of them so he can go to hell <laughs> yeah between between sondheim and jason robert brown those are two composers that uh don't do a whole lot of favors to the uh pianists who play their scores they strictly exist to torture pianists. Yeah. 
Anyway, all right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Sound Like a Pop Podcast. You can find all of our episodes on broadwayworld.com and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Sound Like a Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast. We've been doing a little better tweeting from there um, now that Jen knows the passwords. And go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to rate and review us, please. And thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, and topics that we discuss every week. Um, we will be back next week where Jen and I will wish want and will the Oscars we will tell you the things we wish had been nominated or we wish that will win the things that we want to win and the things that we think will win the Oscars Um, so check that episode out next week until next time we'll see you around the Broadway world yeah (laughs) sorry that's right I was swallowing right when you finished that's right I'm sorry, I couldn't unmute it. (laughs) No, that's fine. Go ahead.